see, I'm not at the pulpit, but instead I'm sharing the stage here with my brother Dan. And I have a lot of admiration for so many of you, uh, but especially since I've gotten to know Dan over the years and so thankful for his ministry, thankful for his friendship and his brotherhood. And I'm thankful that he's one of those guys that's not afraid to speak up when he's got something on his mind. And so at our annual meeting this last year, he mentioned that in our doctrinal statement, which is being handed out to you if uh, the ushers are handing those out, we have a statement in our doctrinal statement concerning manhood and womanhood. And that in that statement, it pretty much quotes from Ephesians chapter 5, where it speaks of the wife's role in marriage that women are instructed by God to submit to the leadership of their own husband in all things. And here you've got one of the verses from Ephesians chapter 5 to remind us that's what we're springing off of here this morning. But there seems to be a a lot of confusion in the church, and it's all part of our culture, as to what are the marriage roles and what does it mean? for a husband to be the head of his wife and for a wife to submit to the leadership of her husband in all things, in everything, as Scripture says. And so as Dan has walked with the Lord for many years and has been married and has learned in his own marriage and has also learned by observing others, he thought it would be good to have a discussion about what does the Scripture mean when it says that wives are to submit to their own husbands in everything. Because there is a lot of confusion. And so he came and spoke with our elders a couple of months ago about some of his concerns. And I thought he made some really good points. And I wanted to give him the opportunity to share those with you in a discussion format. I thought, well, I could get together with Dan and have a great talk about this. I thought, well, why not do it here? Where we can all sit in and listen to the discussion together and hopefully learn from God's word and from godly men What does it mean for a man to be the head of his household and for a wife to submit to her husband? And what does it not mean? Because I think there is a lot of confusion on that point. So Dan was willing to do that, and I'm glad for the opportunity. And as we've been talking ahead of time and seeing what we were going to be discussing, I liked what Dan wrote in one of his emails. He said, No two people will agree on everything. I want people to see that we may not see eye to eye on everything, but we love each other and are willing to discuss these points as we grow and learn together because iron sharpens iron. He also added, we certainly don't have all of the answers now. And so we're not speaking ex cathedra, though we're sitting in stages on the chair, but we're speaking from our best understanding of God's word and from what we've seen and observed in our marriages and in the marriages of the people that we love. And hopefully the Holy Spirit of God will continue to lead each of us into all of the truth. One more thing before I turn it over to Dan here to get us started. We've been speaking recently from the pulpit on how to build up in an age of deconstruction. And one of the things that is being deconstructed in the world around us is marriage, sadly so. And so it's so important that we do not allow our marriages to be deconstructed, but that we are building them on a firm foundation of God's truth and God's wisdom. So may God give us that wisdom as individuals and as a congregation. Amen? So Dan, with that introduction, where would you like to start off today? Well, first let me say, Timothy, how much I appreciate the opportunity for us to be able to do this in front of the congregation. When I shared this with the board, I was not expecting, you know, this kind of a format. And so this is great. And this, you know, as Timothy said, I don't see this as the end all 
on this topic. And frankly, the, the whole submission, you know, the role of men and women is a very, very, very large topic, which we're really not going to cover today. Okay, so if you came for a 30-minute synopsis on the entire role, and that's not what we're going to do today, all right? My focus today is on a very, very specific point that I have found over the years that not very many people talk about. I don't know, I don't know why, but you know, I'm kind of a sermon junkie, and I've read a lot of books, and, and I've listened to a lot of sermons, and this thing about submitting in everything, I just don't hear much about. So the point that I want to argue today is that everything does not mean everything. Okay, sorry guys, sorry. I know, I know this is going to disappoint many of you gentlemen <laughs> out there, but that's really the main point. So I'm taking, if, if we have the pie, the whole pie of roles of men and women, we're taking one little sliver, okay, just on the point of what does it mean to submit in everything and just focusing on that point today. And then we are going to open it up to Q&A, uh, question and answer at the, at the end if we, you know, don't go too long on the conversation. So if you have some questions specifically on what we're talking about today, feel free to either write them down or want to speak up, you know, that's fine. But let me just say that um, as I was thinking about this, you know, from an introductory standpoint, there are many things that we will not get to do in heaven. We will not get to drive cars, as far as I can tell. <laughs> uh, we will not get to ride motorcycles, as far as I can tell. We will not be able to share the gospel. Who are you going to share the gospel to, right, in heaven? We're not going to be able to do that. We're not going to be able to debate many topics, you know, like this in a church setting. So really, it's a privilege... I think that we have in this day and age in our lives to be able to do something like this that, you know, we won't get to do in heaven. So let's make the best of it. You know, let, let's show the world that we love each other and can discuss and talk about these things that, that there's a, a lot of maybe disagreement or there's, you know, it's controversial, right? It's a very controversial topic, let's face it. So we acknowledge that, and I still consider it a privilege to be able to do this on earth, you know, the things that we have that we're not going to be able to do in heaven. And frankly, as far as I can tell, there's no marriage in heaven. So if you're married today, I encourage you, you know, this is your opportunity to shine, you know, in your marriage. So make it the best that you can possibly can make it, right? And that's not always easy, right? Marriage is hard work right after the honeymoon. Anybody agree with that? <laughs> it's work, but it's good work. And we have a guide to guide us and teach us in all these things. So make it about, that's our goal and objective, objective desire here is to help you maybe understand, you know, a little bit different, uh, maybe a little bit different perspective on that. So with that, let me back up to Genesis 3:16. If you want to look it up, you know, that's fine. I'm not going to quote it verbatim. But Genesis 3.16, in effect, one of the things that it points out is that it says, when God is pronouncing the curse on man, woman, Satan, the serpent, etc., okay, to the woman he says, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, this is part of the pronouncement of the curse, okay? So... Obviously, it cannot mean, oh, you're going to want and long for your husband. Because frankly, what, did Eve not long and want her husband prior to the fall? You know, 
I don't buy that. <laughs> so all the, the I've read a number of commentators on this and listened to different you know lectures and so forth. They pretty much agree that this has to do with conflict, okay, and and a desire to control. And so as part of the curse, the woman is going to have a natural desire to control rather than to submit. There's a contrast there. And the man is going to want to rule. So understand that this ruling and control is part of the curse. It's not what Jesus designed. Because I've heard it sometimes teach, well, see, this is the part of the, this is what we do now. You know, we try to, you know, <laughs> try to manipulate, try to rule. No, 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 no. Jesus came to reverse the curse. And so the first thing I think we need to understand, it's the same word, by the way, that's used in chapter 4, verse 7. If you want to look up chapter 4, verse 7, God is talking to Cain. Remember Cain? He was the one whose sacrifice was not acceptable to God, right? Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. Cain's was not. So God did not, was not pleased and did not accept Cain's sacrifice. So Cain was depressed because God didn't approve of his sacrifice. And God tells him, he says, Cain, number one, you know, if you do right, would your countenance be lifted up? And by the way, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. It's the same word there for desire as it is in 3.16. You see the, you see the correlation there? So he's telling Cain, Cain, be careful because sin wants to control you, grab you, but you must master it. Don't let it do that. So be careful about this control thing. That's part of the manipulation. In marriage, we are to minister to one another, not to try to manipulate each other, right? M&M, minister, not manipulate. Well, a lot of times we get into it. And by the way, all the things we're going to talk about today, I've pretty much done them all, okay? So I'm guilty on just about, just about every point. You know, when, when you live long enough, you discover that, oh, yeah, I need to work in this area. I need to work in that area. I need to work in this area. So I've been involved in manipulation. I've also been involved in ministry, you know, to my wife, and she will testify to that, no problem. And uh, so we are called to minister, not to manipulate, right? So just understand that Christ came to reverse the curse. That's the main point I want to make about the Genesis passage when it's talking about that word. That is not the norm. That is not what God wants us to do, but that's the natural order of things, kind of like weeds, Right? Weeds are part of the curse. Somebody described the weed as a plant in the wrong place. I thought that's pretty good. <laughs> so, Can I ask a point of clarification? Yeah, sure. So I assume that you're not saying that the headship of the man in the marriage is a result of the curse. Correct. But instead you're saying because of the curse, now there's conflict in the original creation order where the man was supposed to lovingly lead his wife, but now, because of the curse, her desire is to take control, and he responds by cruelly or improperly ruling over his wife. Yes, yes. There's a natural tendency to want to suppress any kind of opposition, so to speak, right? Right, And so that can work in the home and create a tremendous amount of conflict. So conflict is going to be normal, so to speak, and as part of the result of the curse. And so it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. I struggle with the couples that are not looking to Christ 
don't have a relationship with Christ and are trying to make a marriage work, that becomes even more difficult, I think. So you want to have compassion for folks, you know, that are struggling with that, that don't have the resources, you know, of the Holy Spirit to guide. So cut them some slack. <laughs> it's going to be very, very hard. Don't expect them to just, you know, do it. because even Christians struggle, right? We all struggle in this area. So moving on, because we have a limited amount of time. First Peter 3, verse 7 1 Peter 3, 7, it's kind of a, Peter's getting into a whole discussion here of the different roles and the woman and the husband and so forth. And one of the things he says, live with your wives in an understanding way as fellow heirs. Now, interestingly, before the fall, Adam and Eve were what? They were encouraged to rule together, right? To have kind of dominion, if you will, over God's creation. And so there's a flavor of that here where Peter is saying you are joint heirs. So the wife, the husband have equality in the inheritance. You know, when uh, Ephesians 1.16 says you've been blessed with, uh, you've been given the Holy Spirit as a pledge. And before that it said you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Jesus Christ. Well, does the wife have that? Yes. Does the husband have that? Yes. So spiritually speaking, everything is there, right? So there is a natural thing about living in an understanding way, the understanding way part of that is with a weaker vessel. That's talking strictly about the physical. On average, on average, women have less muscle mass than men, on average. And somebody, by the way, I had a great, heard a great definition of average. If one of your feet is in scalding hot water and the other foot is in freezing cold water, on average, you feel pretty good. There's no such thing as average, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I kind of like that. But um, So on average, since there's less muscle mass, understand that part of the weakness is not weaker spiritually. It's not weaker emotionally. It's weaker physically, in, in my view. And so uh, to live in an understanding way is very, very important because, men, your prayers can be hindered. That is a serious, serious consequence. Who doesn't want their prayers, you know, who wants their prayers hindered? Not me. (laughs) So we need to be very, very careful to try to understand what that really means. Um, So uh, with that, it's kind of a background. Let me go to the military example, if I may. Any comments? Let's go to the military example. I've heard this taught many, many times. You know, in the submission, it's like a military. You place yourself under. In the military, everybody obeys, you know, the next level down. It's kind of a hierarchical military structure. And there's some truth in that, in that wording. However, anybody here have been in the military? Because I have not. Oh, a number of people. Okay, so you can disagree. Tell me if this is right or wrong. If, If I'm wrong, I want to be corrected. Okay. I've talked to several people that have been in the military. I have not, so I don't speak from personal experience. But in the military, you have the right to disobey an order. Is that correct? No. He's saying no. Under any circumstances, must you obey every single order no matter what? You have, my understanding is you have a right to disobey, but what can happen? You have to suffer the consequences, right? You may go to court-martial or whatever. Is that correct? Yes, I'm getting the yes nod. Okay. Yeah. Pardon me? If you choose not to obey, the, there's consequences. But if that's, it's not really a right. You're choosing, you're not 
You're choosing to not obey. The point I want to make is even in the military example, there uh, there are cases where disobedience has taken place. We've seen it in the movies. We've seen it like based on true stories, you know, that actually happen, and um, there are uh, consequences to be had. So it's not carte blanche. The point. Remember my first point: everything doesn't mean everything. That's part of the point that I'm making. Is that it doesn't mean in every little thing, or sometimes in a big thing. So, Dan, if I could throw in an example from the military realm. During the Nuremberg trials, a lot of the defenses for those who had perpetrated the crimes against their victims during the war was that we were just following orders. And the court rightly said, well, is there not a law higher than our laws? And so there is a moral responsibility for those who are under authority to submit themselves to the highest authority when the commands that they are receiving from the lower authority are immoral. And when you do that, you do have to suffer the consequences from the authority for doing so in the military. Family's different. Family's not quite the same as a military. There's important distinctions there we could talk about. But just to show you that there is not just uh, necessarily determined as a right, but there is a responsibility to disobey an immoral order when lives are at risk. Yes, in fact, I think you brought up a good point when you were teaching on Romans 13, I believe, and you were talking about you know obedience to government, so being subject to government, mm-hmm. when you covered a number of different applications of that. I think you brought that up very well. So if any of you have questions specifically on that, I would refer you to Timothy's, you know, look up those sermons. I thought they were really good in uh, taking it on the basic value and then the manifestations of that as you get to more specific cases and so forth. So thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Now next I want to bring up the example of Christ. Are we to submit ourselves to Christ in everything? Yes? Yes. Does Christ instruct you to submit in every detail of your life? Does he tell you when to brush your teeth, what to eat on a buffet line, what clothes to put on, what car to drive? Does he tell you, in fact, now those are you know mundane details, but let's get into a little bit bigger topic like you're picking your mate for life. Does he tell you in no uncertain terms, in writing or a big voice from heaven, you know, or something, yes, this is the person you will marry and no other? No. So, yes, we are to obey Christ in everything, but everything does not involve every little detail. God's will for us is actually broad. Now, when we go outside of that will, and we know what those areas are, right? Many of us know what those areas are outside of God's will. Stealing, I mean, you you can look at the Ten Commandments, you can look at the law. Many different aspects explain what it means to go outside of God's will. But within God's will, there is a broad acceptance of a number of different choices that we have. God gives us the opportunity to apply wisdom and prayer and patience to make those decisions as best we can with the guidance. And maybe we talk to people that we respect, right, before we make that final decision. We get some counsel, right? 
That's legitimate because it's a big decision and we want to be careful about making the right decision because God is not telling us very, very specifically what to do. So even in some big area, where to go to church, you know, do I go to this college or that college or do I live in this country or that country or, you know, um, how many children you want to have? Fill in in the blank. There's a number of things that are acceptable within the will of God. So the reason I bring this up is because if we take literally everything to mean everything literally, it's very, very easy for the husband to abuse. I've seen husbands that dictated what their wives could take and not take on a buffet line, food line. I personally think that's an abomination. <laughs> okay. You may disagree, and that's fine. We can disagree on these points. This is not really technically the gospel, okay, the core of the gospel. It kind of relates to the gospel, but it's not the essence of the gospel, all right? If I can interject, I think you've got some some really important point here that really has more to do with the instruction to husbands that you see behind me on husbands love your wife. And so often the conversation on wives submitting to husbands just focuses on the submission and doesn't focus enough on what the husband's role is and how he's supposed to love. Now, hopefully we'll have a little bit of time here to get to what do you do when your husband is not loving you the way that he's supposed to be loving you. But what you're laying out is the principle that a wise husband, a good husband, who is using his authority in the fear of God, is not someone who is taking over every sphere of his wife's life and treating her like a child who needs every decision made for her. But he's allowing her the dignity and freedom with the power that God has given her as a fellow heir of life to be able to make decisions and to have authority over her own life and over her own home. Just as we want God to treat us that way and we want the government to treat us that way, we want our boss to treat us that way, we want our sergeant to treat us that way, to not trample on our individuality, to not trample on our sphere of authority over our own life. So the husband has to recognize that when he's loving his wife, he's allowing her to flourish in the sphere that she has been designed to be in and to trust her with those things. The heart of her husband trusts in her is what Proverbs 31 says about the excellent wife. And so it does become bad leadership when a husband treats his wife like a child and doesn't allow her to make decisions or have authority in the spheres of life that God has given to her. Absolutely. Very, very good point. That's exactly right. I just think that the Christ example to us is a very, very good one, and it's a very obvious one, but it's not so obvious. You know what I mean? We tend to kind of forget because we're in our own little sphere, and it's easy to get into the micromanaging you know, aspect. And frankly, thank you for bringing that up because one of my points is I personally think it's harder to obey Christ in the husband's role to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I think that's harder than the wife to submit. Well, that's because you're the husband. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I think there are sometimes it's very easy to do that, and I think sometimes it's very, very hard to do that because what did Christ do for the church? He sacrificed himself. He gave himself up for the benefit of the church. We as husbands are to do the same thing for our wives. We're not supposed to dictate every little thing. It's obviously we're supposed to give ourselves up for the benefit. In other words, every resource that God has given me is to be used in specific situations to benefit her. Yeah. That's 
not easy. And benefit her doesn't mean you do everything she wants. Exactly. It means you take the responsibility to say, this is according to the wisdom that God has given me yeah. and the responsibility that God has given me, what is best for my wife in conjunction with what is best for my kids in conjunction with what is best for my family. And you take that responsibility not to serve yourself, but to serve those that God has placed under your care. Yeah. So I think Christ teaches the leadership by example as the number one method. So the example that we give in the husband-wife relationship and, and, and parents and children and so forth, or whether in the workplace or anything, you know, we as Christians are to be the example of what? We are to exude and exemplify Christ, right? Now, we don't do a very good job of that a lot of times, but sometimes we actually do. And that's really cool. And you, you can tell, right, when somebody's doing that. <laughs> you can tell kind of when the motive is right. And the action is sacrificial. There's a lot more that we could say on this, but I really want to get to some of your later points. Should the wife confront her husband when he's making a wrong decision? Yes. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) How does that relate to submitting and everything? Yeah, okay. This is a really good one because I've seen cases where, you know, where the wife felt like I can't, Confront the husband, and frankly, you know, part of the joint heirs and the, the, the co-heirs is God has given men, listen up, and, and by the way, when, <laughs> let me just say, when God is talking to the men, you know, men love your wives, you know, husbands love your wives, wives, close your ears, he's not talking to you, this is just talking to men, and when he's talking to the women, guys, Close your ears. He's not talking to you. He's not telling you, be sure every morning at 8.05 to teach your wife to submit. Okay, that's not (laughs) what he's saying. Okay, wife already knows that. All right. So your job is to love her and her job. You know, they're different roles. So when you're listening to the preaching on different things, it's almost like, all right, guys, let's get all the guys out of the room so we can talk to the women. Women, get out of the room. Let's just talk to the guys. I almost kind of see it that way. But in this area of if the husband is really messing up, husbands, let's be honest, have you ever messed up? I mean, really messed up? Thank you. One honest guy in the room. (laughs) One honest guy in the room. Who's that guy back there? (laughs) Would you like to share how? No, never mind. (laughs) If you've ever messed up, okay, do you want to know about it? I'm talking in the long term, not immediately, because immediately confrontation is not pleasant, right? But don't, if you want to grow, don't you want the person that you have the most intimacy with, the closest with, to point out lovingly, with the right attitude, wouldn't it be great if they brought up, hey, honey, you know, have you thought about maybe doing it this way? Or have you thought about saying, when you're talking to one of the kids, and they're really mad, have you talked about saying it this way instead of that way, right? And you're like, wow, you know what? That's a really good idea. I had not thought of that. That's a really wise approach, okay? You may jot this down in 1 Samuel 25, I believe it is. We're not going to go into the story of Abigail, but read on your own time the story of Abigail in 1 Samuel 25 because it's kind of unique in Scripture where she actually disobeys her husband and saves her household, her men, from all getting wiped out by David and his band of marauders, I call it. She really does some incredible thing there. So, yeah, the short answer is yes. The short answer is yes. And men, you need to listen because the advice could be wrong. 
It could be right. So you have to have the wisdom. You've got to discern, just like those immoral orders that we were talking about. So when the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, strength, mind is one of those. And wives, your mind is to be engaged in loving the Lord as well as everything as the husband too. So you don't, just because he says something, doesn't mean you can set your mind on the shelf. No, 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 no. You see what I'm saying? You are involved in that process. It is also your responsibility to have that working. And if you see something and there's a pattern, then bringing that up, hey, same way with the husband and the wife. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. So yeah, um, let me uh, add there. The captain of the ship doesn't make decisions in isolation. He visits with his officers and makes decisions. And it's the duty of the officers to point out when they think that the captain is not seeing something or not understanding something or is making a foolish choice. And so a wise husband recognizes that God gave him a wife who has wisdom and who has insight that he needs. And so he does consultation, he listens. Ultimately, he has to make the decision. Ultimately, he's responsible for that. And ultimately, the wife submits to that decision, even if he gets it wrong. And so one thing I wanted to correct or clarify, if I could be a little less pompous, in what you said, the wife, you said, should lovingly confront her husband. That, of course, is true. But I would want to point out she should submissively confront her husband. And, and confront might not even be the right word, but uh, you know, there's a submissive way to speak to someone who is in charge, and there's an unsubmissive way to speak to someone who's in charge. Children know this. Employees know this. It's always that way. And we all have these authority structures. But in every authority structure, those who are submitted to the authority have the duty of speaking to the authority when they think that a mistake is being made. Very good. So let's talk about a minute. If there is a strong, passionate disagreement about something mm -hmm. between husband and wife, what do we do? Yeah. We throw up our hands and go talk to Timothy. No. <laughs> he doesn't want to be bothered with every one of those decisions that come up. No, that's, that's not true. My suggestion is this, because the scripture is not, again, explicitly clear. So we have to apply wisdom, I think, in a lot of these areas. And so I could be wrong. You know, that's okay. First of all, express your point of view as appropriately as possible for as long as possible in as many different ways as possible. Because you're trying to persuade your view to the other person, right? So try to be persuasive, not mm, authoritative. Right? Right. So if it takes a long time, let's say it's a decision that a deadline is not imminent. It is not deadline related. Then you can talk about this and debate about this for a long time, and that's perfectly legitimate. The key is respect. Mm -hmm. Respect one another. Every person on the planet wants to be respected. Terry, the inmates want respect? Absolutely. I can tell you from personal experience, if I didn't respect those inmates, I mean, they wouldn't come back. Because they're voluntary. They don't have to come to my study. They wouldn't come. And, you know, they, would, they, they can see through that in five seconds. Treat them like a human being. It's the same thing with the relationship. Are you treating the other person with respect? Because guess what? Honor, like Peter talks about, and love, like Ephesians, like Paul talks about, those things involve respect. So when you're discussing a major disagreement, be sure and involve respect in those discussions, it's going to go a lot better, I can tell you, <laughs> than if you don't 
the the relationship that where the respect has broken down mm. i can almost say is like doomed 80 90% doomed to failure at some point down the road it's just very very destructive mm. so watch your respect and listen to the other person now we had some discussion about this listening you can listen content right cognitively but there's also emotional listening what is emotional listening that's talking about understanding the emotion of the other person right now. You're not making a judgment on what that emotion, whether it's legitimate or not. No, we are all emotional beings. God is emotional, right? That's one of the ways we're made in the image of God is we are emotional beings as well as rational, personal, volitional. So as emotional beings, we need to acknowledge one another's emotion of the moment. So I, t I call that validating the emotion. So it's kind of an example of, honey, I can see that you're really angry right now. That's not a judgment. So if I say that to my wife, how's she going to feel about that? Oh, well, he gets me. I'm very angry right now. Okay. Just like you want to be understood, like if we, if Timothy and I disagree on something, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that, you know, before I can present a disagreeing point, he's going to want to make sure that I understand his point really, really well in the whole context before I bring the opposite view, right? Otherwise, I'm jumping the gun, right? I'm illegitimately disagreeing, making a judgment call decision before. I don't want to do that. I want to understand his position fully, and then I want him to understand my position fully, and then we can have a real heart-to-heart, -heart, which so I really appreciate about this guy, by the way. In biblical terms, you're saying we need to be quick to hear, slow, slow to, to speak. speak. Yeah. So think about emotionally listening as well as cognitively as well as arguing your case and so forth. If you emotionally listen and validate emotions, your discussion and argument about this big disagreement is going to go a lot better. We often will fix the wrong problem if we assume we understand the other person's reason for their emotions without listening first. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it took me years to figure this out. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you, okay? <laughs> like I said, I've made all these mistakes. So very, very important. It makes a huge difference if you listen a little bit different because, like I said, everybody wants. So one phrase that I like to remind myself is soothe before you move. Soothe before you move. I like that. It works for me. There's also a little YouTube, one and a half minute, two minute YouTube thing called Nail on the Forehead. Anybody seen that? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> <You're loving. laughs> it's funny, but it's a really good, it makes a really good point. There's a gal with a nail on her forehead and she's having a conversation with a guy. It's, it's just really good. You know, it's all about listening and understanding. And what, what do you do first? What do you do second? Okay. We guys have a tendency to do what? Okay. Ignore the emotion of the wife and make our point. Like, oh, this is what we should do. We should do it now. So that's if there's no deadline. Long discussion is perfectly and debate is perfectly fine. If there is a deadline, what do we do? Again, as much discussion with respect, understanding, listening as possible. And then ultimately, the guy is responsible to make the final decision because God is going to hold him responsible for that. But if the wife feels understood and listened to, her position is understood really, really well, She's going to be much more amenable to say, yeah, okay, let's just do it your way. Because, you know, I, I had my say, I had my piece, I had, you know, I presented my case before the court, you know, so to speak. I was heard. 
But if either party is not heard, that creates a lot more conflict, right? I'm going to ask Dan to say the closing word of prayer, and then we can greet one another and have a wonderful Lord's Day.